the real ultimate issue is not interoperability. It's unaffordability of American health care and lack of consistent health care product, right? That's the real issue in American medicine is you go to see somebody and you don't know what it's going to cost and you don't know what it's going to get. I'm Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check, and that was Don Rucker, the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology. Basically, he's the point person for the U.S. government on healthcare IT. Now, if you're like me, it can get very hard to follow the technical details of electronic health records and other small tidbits of this space. So my colleague, Darius Tahir, who reports on health IT for Politico, will join me to explain the latest debate and what Rucker's office is working on. Just a reminder that if you like Pulse Check, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app. You can find me, ddiamond at politico.com by email, with suggestions for upcoming episodes. And with that, let's get to my conversations with Darius and Don. Making his podcast debut, my colleague Darius Tahir. Darius, welcome to Politico Pulse Check. Hey, Dan. Happy to be here. I'm especially grateful for you being here because I'm going to talk to Don Rucker, uh-huh. National Coordinator for Health IT, mm-hmm. about APIs and data blocking and all these things that you cover every single day as one of our e-health reporters. So help me, and, and by proxy, help some of our listeners understand too, yeah. what are APIs, application programming interfaces? Well, they're actually kind of simple. It's just something that has uh, you know a fancy name. It's, it's basically a contract. It's a standard contract. Um, so that if you have uh, Google Maps, for example, uh, you can put, you can embed Google Maps, you can download mapping data from it, but you have to agree to certain terms and conditions. Uh, uh, under some circumstances, you might have to pay uh, if you really use a lot of Google Mapping data. Uh, in this hypothetical example, I don't know exactly if that's how Google Map mapping works, but it's probably pretty close. Um, so. For health IT, this is a really important subject because um, basically ever since the beginning, it's struggled with sharing and exchanging data. And uh, the reason it's so expensive is that it requires a new special agreement uh, a lot of times uh, if we want to exchange data. So we're in Washington right now. Let's say uh, Johns Hopkins uh, wants to exchange data uh, with MedStar. Now, a lot of times... um, they would have to build something called an interface. It's a special kind of software that would uh, help to translate uh, certain kinds of data between uh, the two institutions in question. So uh, if maybe one hospital has a certain way of uh, displaying weight, uh, let's say hypothetically, for example, Johns Hopkins likes to put all their data in kilograms, and uh, you know MedStar likes to put all their data in uh, pounds. You know, it's it's a big deal, of course. Uh, you know, because a lot of um, dosing of uh, drugs is dependent on the weight of the patient that's receiving it. So you have to translate the two the two pieces of data. But the problem is that uh, if you need to put a special new interface every single time two hospitals want to exchange data, uh, you know, a hospital and a testing laboratory, uh, a hospital and a community doctor or community practice, it gets really expensive. You have to get new programmers each time. You need to, you know, call up, uh, you know, the electronic health record uh, vendor uh, that you have to get them to write a new contract, new lawyers. Need... So there's a lot of details. You then want to have a sort of special standard contract 
which is this API that just really helps all this data flow very seamlessly. So that's the hope uh, and the dream here for, for APIs. And these are not hypothetical situations of one system maybe using kilograms and another system using pounds because for decades, these systems have often been homegrown. There have been different vendors selling different systems. And as a result, it's patchwork across the U.S. healthcare system, which is bad for patients. But in some respects, it can be good for these providers because they create this kind of closed wall where they're protecting the data, which can be very valuable. Uh, precisely, yeah. So if you have uh, a, you know, your own special way of doing things, it uh, can protect your own data. That's a competitive advantage. Uh, it can make it easier for uh, doctors in the community to refer uh, patients back to you. So it can create this uh, sort of guaranteed flow of patients, uh, you know, to the mothership, if you will. Uh, and so the, it creates again a lot of economic advantages uh, to to be, uh, you know, have this moat of of non-sharing. And HHS for years has tried different ways of draining that moat, yeah. building bridges across yeah. the moat, whatever terminology you want to use. What is the Trump administration doing, Darius, that is either building on what the Obama folks did or, or charting a different path? So what everybody has been excited about uh, are these APIs. Uh, it's been an effort from a little bit in the private sector, a little bit in the Obama administration, and the Trump administration has really been pushing it forward. So it's a, it's a team effort. Uh, and there's a, a special kind of API called Smart on Fire, uh, which we've had a lot of fun with uh, making puns. Uh, and, and that's sort of the, the very main nerdy style. puns. And, yeah, and to, very be, nerdy to puns. be clear, the, the spelling of fire is F H I R. That's correct. Yes. Federal. Uh, fast healthcare interoperability resources, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So that framework is now being used. Is is being pushed and pushed and and so now uh, in the 21st Century Cures Act, which is a big biomedical uh, research act, they are asking uh, the government to act, to make sure that uh, all of these uh, vendors and hospitals make APIs available without special effort. Uh, a lot of times, the terms and conditions on these APIs. Uh, you know, can involve price, can involve uh, a lot of special, you know, details. And, and so it can sort of uh, blunt, uh, you know, a lot of the promise with these uh, APIs and make them less accessible uh, than, you know, the, the hope and the theory is. How is Don Rucker and his office doing in advancing information access? So uh, they, you've got these these API policies uh, that they've been um, pushing. What a lot of people uh, in the industry are also hoping for is a, a data blocking uh, rule. Um, the 21st Century Cures Act said, look, data blocking not allowed with some exceptions. Uh, uh, you guys have to figure out what the exceptions are, right? Uh, you know. And you know, there are some good faith reasons why you would, wouldn't want to share data with just anybody. You don't want to share data from uh, uh, you know, the 400-pound hacker in the basement. Uh, you don't want to share data with uh, you know, somebody who's irresponsible or something like that. So uh, they tasked uh, ONC with uh, you know, figuring out what these exceptions are and defining them. Um, the problem is uh, we've been hearing more and more from the industry is that ONC is not, uh, you know, for whatever reason, government takes a long time, um, not been working fast enough for them. And they'd really like to see that uh, come out because uh, the perception of a lot of people in the industry is that, look, you have these people who want to keep these moats, uh, have them full, have them big and, you know, full of water. 
and and so they want to you know really make it hard to access data. We need this rule to crack down on on sort of the the people who are who are benefiting uh, from these data awards. And and so we need some sort of enforcement rule to crack down on them. And so far, haven't seen the rule yet. So uh, I'm interested to hear uh, how uh, Dr. Rucker responds in terms of pushing forward this rule. And I do have Don Rucker coming up in a few minutes. Beyond APIs, beyond information blocking, is there anything that you, as a reporter who specializes in this, is there anything that you are looking to hear him talk about? Um, you know, I, I, I've I've been interested to hear about uh, how they conceive of the. They they like to emphasize that the Trump administration does that they're uh, you know being deregulatory, so they're making sure there's less reporting, uh, you know, of quality measures of uh, documentation for emergency and management codes, um, and and so it's a, a sort of an interesting balance because you have this data blocking rule, which is a regulatory rule, and you have some other efforts which are big regulatory rules. And and so it's it's a little bit sometimes of a rhetoric versus a reality sort of sort of thing. So I'm, I'd, I'll be interested to hear about uh, uh, the details on that uh, deregulatory uh, aspects. Okay, well then stay tuned, Darius. We'll be sitting down with Don. And thank you so much for joining Politico Pulse Check. Absolutely, thank you. Don Rucker, National Coordinator for Health IT. Welcome to Politico Pulse Check. Hi, Dan. Thanks. You are the third National Coordinator for Health IT to come on this podcast. Your predecessors, Farzad Mustashari, Karen DeSalvo, came on and talked about their jobs and portfolios in the Obama administration. Was the Obama administration doing something so significantly different a year and a half ago that the Trump administration has has changed? Well, you know, I think there's a Different philosophical approach. I mean, honestly, I don't. I don't think that would come as a total surprise to to uh, to folks in the country. I think in an I in the IT space, there's actually been a fair amount of agreement. Interestingly enough, on things that are strictly healthcare IT, like what um, need for open application interface, you know, APIs, so application programming interfaces to get at the data, um, provisions on information blocking. Um, for this administration, we're very interested in those things to empower patients to get data on their smartphone and to prevent any barriers to patients being in control. And for listeners who might not know that term, information blocking, that's the idea that some health systems, that some data repositories might not be doing enough, in fact, might be actively blocking access to data for their own benefit. Right. The interoperability forum that mm -hmm. your office puts yes. on, it's, it's going on right now as we sit down yes. to talk on, on Tuesday. Don, I, I have heard about the push for interoperability to get systems yes. to talk to each other for as long as I've been doing healthcare. Right. How much more can another forum accomplish in, in getting these systems to talk to each other? Isn't it just about changing rules and regs and incentives at this point? No, I think, I think uh, interoperability is a complicated issue, right? So you have you have to solve for a bunch of different things simultaneously, right? So one of the things is obviously how do you just physically wire things together. Increasingly with the modern internet, that part is a done deal. When I was appointed as um, national coordinator, one of the things that struck me is how do we 
better solve for these simultaneous problems we're solving for, right? So we, we have a lot of connectivity, but there's still more to be done there. How do we model the complex biology? I mean, ultimately, unlike an ATM, unlike a banking transaction, you know, which is global, the problem with healthcare is our biology is more complex than anything any computer can describe. So because we have this innate built-in inefficiency, we have a complex sea of economic incentives that cloud all of the interoperability issues, what kind of software we buy, what kind of computing. So you have to sit, if you're in the you know business of coordinating as we are at the Office of the National Coordinator, ONC. So we have to work together and figure out how do we solve for all of these problems? The interoperability forum is something we started last year to really try to focus the discussion on what are the, the hard issues to be solved. There's actually been a lot of progress made, but that, that really is a disproportionate focus for us. And that, that, I think, is new. I think you know the Cures Act, the 21st Century Cures Act. Uh, Congress made it quite clear that they wanted the burden reduction and the interoperability issues solved in EMRs. And that Cures Act, 21st Century Cures, includes a line buried on page 337. EHR vendors are supposed to make patient data accessible, uh, quote, without special effort. What does that mean, without special effort? Yeah, that that is um, one of the more powerful lines, I think, in in legislative language in America, I think, when it all plays out. Um, now, color me an optimist about this. <laughs> and also potentially biased. And, <laughs> but, and, yes, and, without, without but I had nothing to do with the law. I did not put the line in. You know, Congress almost unanimously passed the law. President Obama signed it. So that was all there when I got there. But I, I absolutely assure you, the Trump administration from the White House, Secretary Azar, Seema Verma, we are extremely interested in empowering American public to be able to control their own health care and do it electronically. So in that context, without special effort means the application programming interfaces, the doors into these EMRs, the doors into the data, they need to be available for other computers to talk to. Now, all of this is covered under the HIPAA privacy law, so we're not changing any of that. So that does not change any privacy rights. It's all you know, done with modern state-of-the-art security. But ultimately, it is the first big step on the pathway of getting patients in control of their data, right? Because you can't be in control of it if you don't have it, right? So this is a way of getting that. It also actually has a whole bunch of other benefits because often doctors and systems for a variety of reasons can't get at the data, especially if you're going between systems, between doctors. So this broadly makes healthcare more efficient. But what the without special effort means is you have to have published APIs. You have to have APIs that you know you can test other software against. It can't just be something of your own creation that is just, you know, totally isolated and controlled. That you know the ownership rights under cures, and that's again a very complicated legal area, but Patients have legal rights under cures to their data. And without special effort, basically, are the words that say this has to happen in a way that other third parties can get at it. There are a number of small companies who are 
um, working to extract data, put it on your smartphone. You've um, you know probably seen the work that Apple is doing there. Um, we believe that uh, you know there's going to be a whole ecosystem of folks who um, leverage this data. So to paraphrase back to you, without special effort, it's it's a phrase in the law that gives your office considerable leeway in terms of defining what that means. You're working on a rule right now, so you're not going to give me any more details on, on how you're defining it. But it, it is intended to make it easier for a patient like me to get access to my data. Yeah. So, I mean, again, this is not just some volitional thing that, you know, an agency is defining. I mean, it is a concept in modern computing. Let me give you an example um, outside of healthcare. So, the MAP software applications, right, they have APIs that you can access, right? So the map to a restaurant, the map, you know, travel map, all the apps that actually incorporate a map on top of things, you know, your ride-sharing maps, right? So we have maps everywhere. They all use an API that is a published API. Programmers can do it, and they don't need, you know, special permission from, you know, deep headquarters that, you know, pick your favorite map software vendor, Google, Apple, TomTom, whatever, you know, it's, uh, you know they, they're, they're open. You know, there may be licensing fees, but they're really computable and don't require extra special effort besides writing the code. Let me lay out a common scenario in healthcare. I'm in a doctor's office. I'm in pain. I'm telling my doctor about my symptoms. Her back is to me. She's typing away on a computer. The Trump administration says, we're going to fix this situation. How are you trying to do that? So, um, yes, I think anybody who's been in a modern doctor's office, it would be hard not to have noticed that, that your doctor is at times, uh, maybe a large chunk of the time, engrossed in, in that. Entering he, notes and staring at a computer. Well, engrossed in interactions with the computers. Interestingly, Congress noticed it as well. And in the Cures Act, there's actually provision for ONC and CMS to do a report, which we're working on and will be released soon for comment on the nature of the burden. And, you know, the nature of the burden is interesting. It's a, it's a couple different things that come together. And so you, you have to, you know, any complex problem, you have to, it's a, you have to untease the components of it. One component is, you know, our insurance world, for the reasons we talked about earlier, has a lot of these prior authorization, pre-authorization, pre-cert. So there's a lot of complexity on getting paid. And just to clarify for listeners who might not know that term, if I want to get a certain scan done or treatment done, the doctor has to go and get permission. Yes. And that is often, frankly, done in ways to disincent the doctor from bothering because it is so painful. You know, it's like a little bit of an electroshock. Don't touch that plug. You'll get, you know, shocked, right? It's not fatal, but it's, you know, doctors spend many hours. So there's there are a number of things like that. Um, but, you know, the search for value, quality measures, I don't think we've sort of nailed how to do that. That's an ongoing problem. One additional area that's maybe the one that is in some ways most painful for doctors is back in 1995, in order to balance paying doctors adequately but not having Medicare become immediately bankrupt by doctors submitting bills unchecked, um, there were 
um, a special series of what are called evaluation and management codes put in. And these are known um, in the trade as the 1995 E&M codes. I'm simplifying a little bit, but the net of it is for every arguably sicker patient, you have to do a very large amount of what you could describe as medical student boilerplate. Document 10 organ review systems, eight organ physical exam. That's fine if you're a med student and you're learning where the body parts are. Presumably, by the time you've gone through med school residency and are practicing, you have a pretty good idea of where the heart, the lungs, the liver, et cetera, you know, where they're located. Documenting on things that aren't really relevant, right, to the vast bulk of patients is very time-consuming, very expensive in a systems way, and it, it's just complicated because you have the things a patient told you. You have to manage this massive amount of boilerplate text in order to get paid, right? It's a little bit like, you know, when you install software and you agree to the the, the um, EULA, the, EULA, the user licensing you know, agreement. The licensing yeah. agreement. Like, who exactly has read all of that, right? Some of these notes have a little bit or a lot of that flavor. And, of course, it means from an ONC healthcare IT point of view, these charts then are cluttered. You can't even actually find often real information. So one of the big things the Trump administration has done, again, the president has directed burden reduction. This is a major burden. The, um, and so what we've done to reduce the moral hazard, right, because the problem you're solving for, all these rules were put in for a reason, right? They didn't just come because you know, it was a rainy day, right? They came because there was a problem to be solved. And the problem to be solved is how do you balance paying docs appropriately with how do you not bankrupt the and, you know, further saddle our children and our grandchildren with even more debt than we've already saddled them with, right? So how do we balance the, you know, the expense and, um, and getting the right amount of care? So the, that's the moral hazard, if you will, for any of your you know, actuarially-minded listeners that you have to solve for. The proposal, proposal is out for public comment as we speak. September 10th um, is the deadline for making comments. It collapses these codes to disincent the gaming of these codes in a blended revenue specialty neutral rate. Um, and we think this will be one of the biggest deregulatory things, arguably the biggest deregulatory thing, I can't think of another one, in American medicine. So let's put some specifics around this. There are different levels currently for what a doctor might might end up coding for. And the more complicated a patient, the higher the level, yes. the more reimbursement goes with that. Right. And the, the positive of that is theoretically a doctor who's dealing with a more serious case should potentially be getting paid more because of the right. extra involvement. The, the downside is you get these additional regulations and, and all this, as you've put it, this note bloat. Yeah. Physician groups deeply unhappy about this idea to collapse all the levels and have a flat level paid. And uh, I, I will just quote the um, Community Oncology Alliance. Their spokesperson said it's, quote, simply crazy that Medicare would pay the same amount for a doctor who's checking a patient for a head cold as a doctor who's checking a patient for metastatic breast cancer. Do you understand that concern? Yes. Um, so I, I think there's a couple of things to say there. Um, first of all, there's actually in the proposal a new separate code for complexity. 
So to the extent that the patient requires more time and is sicker from the doctor, they will be paid under Medicare under the new proposal. So in fact, the administration is very much pro taking care of the sickest patients, right? And of course, it's worth noting that the sickest patients are the ones who are most burdened by all of this boilerplate because they're the ones who are paying for it. Ultimately, the more you visit the doctor, the more you're subsidizing all of this waste of time and billing inefficiency. So this is very much geared to the people who actually, for you know, just bad luck, need more health care. I think the reality is I've been practicing 30 years. I think the reality is people actually in many settings see a pretty heterogeneous mix of patients, right? So the, quote, head cold, um, and with all the deductibles, by the way, fewer and fewer people are coming in for stuff like that. I'll just let you, I'll, I'll just mention that as an aside, right? Um, you know, a lot of those folks it typically is other issues as well that are very time-consuming. And, you know, even with the sickest patients, sometimes they're just in for a checkup. So I think, you know, we, what CMS has done is actually be very thoughtful about looking at their data, right? They have all of the data on this because they've been paying for this, right? So they know what revenue neutrality is because it's their data, right? Unless you sort of assume they can't do arithmetic, of which there's no evidence, right? They've actually designed this in a revenue neutral way. Um, I think people, it's, it's, it's a very interesting social phenomenon, right? So most docs who are practicing today have never practiced in the prior world. Most docs have spent their entire time from med school and residency in this world of note bloat and text boilerplate. They don't even, they're not even, they've never actually experienced the other world. So they're, they're sort of anchored on that. Um, a lot of the payment, you know, a lot of the internal systems and especially for employed docs, are all geared to maximizing your RVU units, right? That's the technical name. The relative value units. The relative value units. That's the technical jargon for how these things are paid out. And so they lose sight of it. Um, We're encouraging people, again, A, public comment. B, think about how much time we estimate that doctors are spending. And there are a number of research articles on that now that look at electronic log files to precisely measure how much time doctors are sitting in the documentation part of the EMR, we're estimating this at potentially five or ten percent of the entire time for office-based docs. Um, that we can, the administration, eliminate that entire burden. And for anybody who's listening, don't forget you're paying for this, right? That's not the tooth fairy who's paying for this dead loss econ- economics. Everybody who buys healthcare or health insurance is paying for this. And just to underline the point, you're saying physician groups should not worry about this, that they will do just fine under any we, revenue changes. This entire thing is designed to be revenue neutral, plain and simple, right? Now, is there a little bit up and down? Um, I think people, you know, obviously there's a lot of lobbyists in Washington. They're paid to, you know, I think sometimes look at the glass, um, you know, as uh, – more on the empty side than the full side. And, you know, all of these groups say, you know, we do this. But I'm, we're encouraging docs to think about their time and 
what they're attesting to in these notes and what they want to read in their records and ask himself um, if this is not one of the biggest improvements in their practice life. Your office is developing a rule to take enforcement actions against bad actors who impede the flow of electronic data, whether that's health systems, vendors, others. You said on Monday at the Interoperability Forum that it's hard to sort out who exactly is a bad actor. Why is that so hard to tell? Well, let me let me rephrase, I think, what I exactly said, which is um, some of the actors you sort of understand, right? I think part of it is how do you define these actions in law in a way that is internally consistent and enforceable, right? So just for the for folks, the 21st Century Cures Act, Congress banned information blocking in healthcare, right? So that's not an ONC rule or interpretation. That's extant federal law since December 2016. What ONC is charged with is exceptions to that, right? So to put sort of a finer operational nuance on it and, you know, just, you know, things, I mean, well, if somebody is, you know, stealing their information, I mean, if there's some, you know, absolute known thing or there's some obvious software threat, no, we're not going to require, you know, to feed your data to some obvious software threat type of thing. Um, So that might be, you know, how do you write around that? How do you um, consider, you know, some of the cost issues, right? I mean, you can have a, quote, open API, but charge an infinite amount of money for it, then it's not open. Um, The intent of cures is pretty clear. Patients should have access to their electronic data as part of what they pay for in the visit. That should not be an add-on. But again, there's there's others around there. So what we're working on are the details of these exceptions in a way that then um, you know can give clarity to everybody on what it is. It's worth noting that in some of the prior rules, going back to the prior uh, administration, there were prohibitions against information blocking, but because it was not defined, it was not enforceable. You know, it had no right. I'm not doing something that's not defined. Well, okay. You know, that, I mean, there's just no there there. So what what cures um, really requires is that we put a there there. Um, what makes it hard is, you know, there's some good reasons or technical reasons why this is hard. So, you know, there's, there's a fine line. Some of this is like the old Potter Stewart comment on, you know, the Supreme Court on the definition of pornography, um, right? You know, you know, when you see a type of thing, if I get the, the facts right, there, there's some marginal things where, well, you know, we can't really do an interface. Well, what does that mean, right? We can't really share the data. So like that's what, what, what would be an example of that for someone like me who doesn't follow this so closely well, in the weeds? Um, an example might be you go see doctors in a system and for whatever reason, they haven't built out an interface. And, uh, you know, maybe they've tried or maybe they have an interface to one thing but not to other things. Um, is that because the technology was not there or, you know, let's say their software vendor is doing that on the next release? 
there are a lot, they're, they're just very complicated situations. Or is it, as in some cases, we really, for example, don't want patient orders to go out of the system, right? So let's say our healthcare system, we want, let's just make something up, that everybody does their MRI at our system, in our system at our price. You know, we won't electronically send the order out to a competitor that might be a tiny fraction of the cost, right? Those, those types um, of things are there. Part of what makes it challenging also is nobody's admitting to being an information blocker, right? So this all sort of sits. Part of it is you know, we haven't really had the API, so we haven't really tested it. People are still trying to do it. So, so there's an organic evolution here on how we communicate electronically. So we're trying to be mindful of that technical evolution and, you know, move the whole scrum forward. Um, some of that's by having rules. Some of it is just the mere possibility of these rules. And we've actually, I don't want to get into specifics, but we've already seen some of the folks just based on the likelihood of the rules change behaviors. Anticipating what could come. Anticipating, yeah. 14 organizations this week sent a letter to your office, to OIG, Mm -hmm. uh, organizations like the American Medical Informatics Association, Mm -hmm. saying that it's been more than 600 days since Mm -hmm. cures. It is, quote, past time for Mm -hmm. regs on information Mm -hmm. blocking to be finalized. Quote, every day that the administration delays implementation of these critical provisions places Mm -hmm. patients at risk of harm. Has your office sufficiently prioritized finishing info-blocking regulations? Yes. We have um, a major, you know, obviously we're in large part of regulatory agency. We have a major rule writing effort. It is deep in the federal clearance process. Um, it has uh, gone through multiple iterations um, with a lot of thought on all of the key provisions in the Cures Act, including information blocking. Last question. You are the national coordinator for health IT. To paraphrase you, you're the IT guy. (laughs) There are different parts of HHS that are pursuing health data in very different ways. NIH with the All of Us campaign. CMMI is doing its work on, on patient data through accountable care organizations and beyond, and so on and so on. You can go down the line. How do you prioritize and and fill the gap between all of these different agencies that want very different details of health data? Well, the way we prioritize it is actually, it, it's, it's simpler. It's not actually a, um, you know, A versus B. There's actually a win-win here, which is, you know, building out these modern interfaces that we're working on. Um, and evolving those from some of the current interface standards, whether you're NIH or CMMI or other parts of CMS or just a patient wanting a record from a doctor's office, wanting a record on their record on their smartphone, all of these really should be coming through the same classes and types of interfaces. So it it really all works together. At at the end of the day, if, um, you know, we can double down on the directions that we're doing now, this this will really empower people, whether it's, you know, the all of us data, which is using the same 
um, API components that we're using. We work tightly with NIH on that. We obviously work extremely tightly with CMS, um, as, as you know from from many many uh, data points. So we see that all, we see all of this as moving to empower patients to get control of their care and to get control of their care both medically and, frankly, economically. Because the real ultimate issue is not interoperability. It's unaffordability of American health care and lack of consistent health care product, right? That's the real issue in American medicine is you go to see somebody and you don't know what it's going to cost and you don't know what it's going to get. And you would never accept that in any other part. Modern computing, modern technology, the app ecosystem gives us a chance to sort of do an end run around the 50 or 60 years of stuff. And I have stuff in air quotes for folks who can't see me, everybody. Um, you know, th this gives us a chance to, you know, rethink this in a modern computer environment. That's what the administration is about. You know, Jared, Office of American Innovation, Secretary Azar. I mean, I was talking about it, this with him this morning. Um, Seema Verma, that's what we're all trying to do. Last real question. What year? What, what were the other questions? They were unreal. <laughs> I should probably reorder that. Real, real last question. Okay. What year will interoperability be practical and real for everyone? So when I was graduating from uh, grad school in medical computing in 1988, I thought the EMR problem was going to be solved by 1991 on Silicon Valley time. So um, I now am much more judicious about uh, predictions. But, you know, seriously, in the rule, there's going to be time to, you know, build the systems. We're working on making the standards more robust. There's going to be time for people to install it. So I think you're going to see things over the next couple of years and I think you've already seen some of the handiwork. I mean, we were told by some of the folks at Apple that the entire ONC stack is what guided them to do the um, data that is available on the Apple Health Kit on their smartphone. So I think you're already seeing the fruits of some of this work. Some of that actually goes back to, you know, Farzad and Karen and, and um, Vindel and, and folks. Um, so I – and there's a lot of stuff going on outside of the federal government. The payers are very interested in this. Um, so it's, it's a pretty fertile environment. Don Rucker, National Coordinator for Health IT. Thank you for joining Politico's Pulse Check podcast. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. And I'm joined again by Darius Tahir, our e-health reporter, who just listened to the conversation that I had with Don Rucker. Darius, did, did the National Coordinator for Health IT make any news on the e-health front? Well, it, it sounds like uh, because of that letter that you mentioned uh, during the interview, it sounds like the, there's been some uh, pushback or pushing uh, in terms of this data blocking rule we discussed. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly how the gears of government will turn and, you know, what timeline it is, but it does sound like there's uh, work happening. And, and so we're interested in hearing the, the 
results. And when you say the letter that I mentioned, yeah. the letter from the 14 associations saying ONC has been dragging its heels yeah. on accomplishing this yeah. info blocking rule. Yeah, yeah. 601 days, I think I recall, was uh, the, the figure, which is, you know, sounds like a lot of days to me. So, Is there anything that Don did not say that surprised you? Perhaps something that he skipped over or didn't go into detail on? Well, so I... As I think I mentioned during our first conversation, I was really interested to hear uh, about how they conceive their regulatory and deregulatory uh, role. Uh, he was pre-emphasizing of the deregulatory part, uh, which is an interesting em- emphasis because one of the biggest proposals that the Trump administration has made on health IT has been regulatory. Uh, it's been uh, this idea that we could add some sort of interoperability uh, criteria to the terms of conditions for participating in Medicare, which would be a pretty huge change and has raised you know, some hackles um, you know, among, uh, for example, hospital groups. Uh, one just testified uh, in Congress about their opposition uh, to the proposal a few weeks back. So uh, it, it would be a big change, it'd be a tough change, and it'd be a controversial change. So I was uh, interested uh, that he, he didn't mention that. I asked Don Rucker about what he saw as the big opportunities and challenges ahead for him. What do you see as the reporter tracking this office as the big signposts across the rest of 2018? Well, I think Rucker was absolutely right that, you know, APIs are a huge effort. Uh, One thing he didn't mention uh, during the conversation uh, that I'm tracking pretty closely is is a subject called uh, patient matching, patient identification. Now, both of us have a uh, little unusual names, so we might not run into this problem. But, uh, you know, my, my girlfriend was actually at a uh, doctor's office, and she said that uh, two patients ahead of her had their records merged because they had extremely similar names and extremely similar birth dates. Uh, and it's a, it's a common problem in the healthcare system where you have people with similar names who, you know, their information. So you pull the file for, you know, one, uh, you know, Joe Smith, and you get the wrong Joe Smith's data. Uh, And it's been a big problem for the healthcare system as we've gone, you know, digital. Um, So there's supposed to be a report from the Government Accountability Office later this year on how to solve this problem, on how to patient match uh, correctly. And so I'm I'm sort of interested to see how the office is going to navigate some of the regulations, the privacy regulations in this area to both respect patient privacy while also making sure, you know, the right Joe Smith's data gets uh, gets matched with, with each other. Well, we will look for your reporting in Politico, and we will look to have you back on the Politico Pulse Check podcast very soon. Darius Ta here. Thank you for joining for our conversation. Thanks for having me on, Dan. That's it for Pulse Check today. My thanks to Don Rucker, National Coordinator for Health IT, and his team for making time, especially during the Interoperability Forum. And Darius Tahir, my colleague, who made his Pulse Check debut. Thanks, as always, to Mikael Rodriguez for producing this show. You can find Pulse Check on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can find me, I'm at ddiamondapolitico.com, with suggestions. And you can find a new episode of Politico Pulse Check in your podcast player next week.